besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. We are joined by Jackie Dodd, co-founder of Edge of the Crowd and host of Ascending Olympus podcast. Jackie, thank you for the time. Thank you. I'm very keen to talk about the Olympics. Really enjoy the podcast and your writing, so I'm really excited to have you on the program. Uh, before we look at some hopeful Aussie medal chances, uh, as you're saying there, firstly, as a fan of the Olympics, how are you feeling, coping, dealing with two Olympics, summer and winter, within six months of each other? Oh, it's a bit mental. Um, I was talking about this the other night. It's just like we've, we've been really spoiled for sport um, in the past six months in general with the Ashes and everything as well. But then, like, 2022, it's also, like, suddenly it hits for another Olympics. And then it's, like, also Paris is in two and a half years as far as Olympics is concerned. So, like, I think Kate Campbell announced that she was going to go to her fifth Olympics, hopefully, um, today. And that's so wow. like, oh, wow, Paris is that close as well. Close enough to touch, that's for sure. Uh, last night we saw the uh, <laughs> opening ceremony. We had a few texts describing it as awesome and epic. Uh, how did you find it? Was there a theme or narrative running through? I loved it. Um, I think that the use of what they did with the digital floor was really, really cool. Um, my favourite part, aside from the Parade of Nations, because I think that that's real fun to watch, um, were the little kids with the doves, because they <laughs> had the best job of the opening ceremony. They just got to play on stage for five minutes, basically. That sounds like a uh, pretty good time. Uh, but uh, with uh, Mandarin being a pictorial language, uh, the Order of Nations walking out was based on the amount of strokes in the country's name. I was learning a lot last night. Australia had the most strokes, which meant we had a weight on our hands to catch our flag bearers, uh, Brendan Carey and Laura Peel, both three-time Olympians. A great honour for them. Uh, what can you tell us about Brendan and Laura? Um, so I'll start with Brendan because she's just getting probably the sport I know the most about. Um, so he's had a pretty mixed Olympics career at least he didn't even make the free skate either his first Olympics in 2014 um and then came back with a vengeance per se in 2018 did really well um he's a great leader in Australian figure skating he's won eight national championships and considering we haven't had two national championships in the past two years mm. he could have been going into this Olympics as a 10-time national champion and I think the fact that he's come into the Olympics with some um personal best results as well um speaks wonders and it's great that we've had an ice athlete for the first time even at a like ceremony opening or closing since Bradbury and I think since 1998 at an opening ceremony. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, and then sorry you go. Yeah and then <laughs> sorry and then like Laura she's a huge ambassador for aerial skiing. Um, both her and Danielle Scott are obviously considered to be very realistic medal chances. Um, and just some of the stuff that she's been putting down on snow, like in the lead up to the Olympics. Um, I personally, my guess out of the aerial skiers was going to be Danielle, but the fact that it was Laura and she's so lovely and so like well-spoken and soft-spoken, but then it's just like, as I think they were saying in the coverage, she's clearly got that killer instinct that can really go in for that medal. And it's good to see that in one of our flag bearers. Before we talk uh, the specific Aussies and their medal chances, what are your favourite events at the Winter Games? Uh, it turns out we have a lot of curling fans on the show. Can you give the listeners something else to watch out for across the two weeks? Yeah, so I think that over the next two days, um, especially tomorrow, the mogul skiing is going to be a big one to watch, as is the aerials um, when Laura and Danielle and 
Gabby Ash compete. But I also think um, on ice, getting to see Brendan Corey um, going that 1,000 metres, maybe see another repeat of Bradbury, but also then um, the figure skating with Brendan Carey and Kleine Crane, um, and also just like everyone in the figure skating because that <laughs> event is crazy town. <laughs> Tali Gill and Dean Hewitt, I think they have a, a near-on-perfect approval rating from the Australian nation as they represent Australia in the curling. They've run the competition close, haven't they? Uh, playing again uh, twice today. Uh, how have they gone? Yeah, so today wasn't their best day. They had two concessions. Um, they conceded after, I think, the sixth end, or maybe it was in the seventh end, um, in their first match against Italy. And then in their um, second match today, they also conceded in the final end because they just didn't have enough stones. I think they needed to get four stones in that last end. Um, and with seven shots gone, there was just no realistic chance. It's heartbreaking to watch because you can see that they're good enough. And then at the same time, it's just like, slow down. <laughs> we need to like, remember it's Australia. <laughs> we need to like, I don't think that they're there to make up the numbers by any means. And it's the proof is in the fact that they've had so many matches go down to last end or even last stone, like that extra ends match the other night. But at the same time, like you're just like, Oh, in four more years, you guys could be really good if you stay together. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. We can uh, maybe medal uh, in four years time in the curling. Uh, Jakara Anthony, a, a massive chance of uh, meddling uh, coming up. She finished top of the qualifying in the women's moguls. Uh, Britt Cox finished ninth and went straight through to the final as also, but Jakara has been in great form in the world cup all year, sitting in the gold medal position as it were heading into the final on Sunday. Yeah. Um, Jakara's incredible and she's been incredible for a couple of years now. I think that that fourth place finished in 2018 really like helped spur her on. But at the same time, like she's the first ever Australian in mogul full stop to lead after qualifying. Um, and that's a huge achievement in itself. She had the top score out of the men and the women in the moguls. And yes, the air scores are like weighted slightly differently, but that's still like crazy. And she's done that in other competitions as well. The problem is that she often has her best run, not in that super final. And because it goes down to just that one run count, it can be the difference between gold, silver, bronze, or just missing the podium. But then also like Britt Cox is at her fourth games and she was so good the other night. Like I was, <laughs> I think more excited that Britt Cox got into the top 10 and doesn't have to go through that second qualification than Jakara. Because like in my heart of hearts, I was just like, Jakara's in easy. Like, we know she can do this. Whereas Britt, I was just like, oh, she's missed a couple on the circuit this year. And she's come in and come in ninth. And I'm like, oh, could we get a double Aussie Super Final just like 2018 again with Britt and Jakara? Because that would be awesome in itself. And then there's the chance of medals. <laughs> Yeah, fingers crossed for that. Uh, and men's moguls were in action earlier this afternoon as well. Uh, Brody Summers and Cooper Woods uh, Topolovic qualifying. Uh, how'd they go? Yeah, so I, both Brody and Cooper have had really good seasons. They've both had seasons, uh, not seasons, best, sorry. They've both had careers best um, in the month of January alone. So they both made their first ever super final. I think Cooper had a fifth place and Brody had a sixth place, or maybe swapped those around. Um, and them being second and third, I believe, in the qualification too. Just amazing. And you can see that there's the potential of just getting a few extra points like here or there. Um, but 
but they both look so good and their turns are so clean. Like, and it, that's worth so much of your score. So it's very helpful. Jessica Yeaton uh, has, uh, well, she's in the cross country skiing. Uh, it seems like a way to spend an afternoon. Uh, how did Jess go? And who are the nations that normally excel at this event? Uh, so Jess ended up finishing 31st, which is big improvement of 2018. She finished 50th in 2018. And I think she started at like 54th or something like that because you start based on your seedings. So she had a big climb up there. But um, I don't think it's all that surprising that Norway did very well. Um, all of the Scandinavian countries are pretty good. And then you have a couple of Americans that are very good cross-country skiers. And, I mean, the skiathlon is probably the more dynamic event just because of the fact that, like, specialists in classical can do really well for the first half and get a big lead. And then those freestyle specialists can do even better. And today it was just no one was beating the gold medalists. Like, that's <laughs> for sure. Uh, Tess Cody, uh, Cody qualifying today through to Monday's women's uh, slope style final. What is slope style and has Tess got any chance of meddling? So the way I mentally in my head try to process slope style, <laughs> it's a little bit like the park, like park skateboarding, not scored the same at all um, because you got six different sections to go down, but you've got um, jump sections, you've got rail sections. Um, and there's plenty to do in that. Tess did very well today. Um, and she can definitely do better. It was one of those things where there were a couple of funky landings. I think that her score ended up being a 75 or a 77 about there. Um, and the fact that, like, we see her get an 86, which is what um, Zoe, the, sorry, which is what the uh, New Zealand snowboarder that was in the lead ended up getting. So, like, there is clearly a feeling. She's just got to get a better run as far as, like, connections go, also with the tricks, because impression is so influential, which I know sounds a little bit weird, <laughs> but, like, when you think about it, it's the same with the snowboard half pipe. If the tricks don't flow together, like, is it as good as a run just because you've done really difficult stuff as someone that's done a very clean run where it all flows together and looks really good as a package? <laughs> Figure skating, uh, it's always filled with drama. We've seen movies made about it uh, outside of the Olympics. Uh, who are the favourites for this event at Beijing 2022? Well, so we've got the team event first, and I would have said that the Russian Olympic Committee was the favourite hands down, but after the short programs for the men's, the pairs and the ice dance, the United States is in the lead. I think after the ladies, the Russians are very much going to take over because um, Camilla Valieva, who will be the Russian entry in that team event, is a superstar. She's favoured to win gold in the women's event and holds every world record. I think she's broken nine world records <laughs> wow. this season. Like, that's how good she is. Um, and, like, the first woman to break the 90 barrier, the 180 barrier, the 250 barrier across the short program free skate and combined scores. And I think that the Russian Olympic Committee podium sweep is also very much reality in the women's event. As for the men's, um, everyone's talking about Yuzuru Hanyu and Nathan Chen. I think that the major difference will be if Yuzuru Hanyu becomes the first ever athlete to land a quad axle in competition, um, it, it's over. Let's just give him the gold medal then because <laughs> it'll just be so hard to beat. Um, there's still like a couple of dark horses in the men's event. I think that if Chen and Hanyu make mistakes. Um, both Shoma Uno and Yuma Kagiyama in the, uh, from the Japanese team are really good chances. And then you look at pairs and it's very much the Russian team 
uh, Russian Olympic Committee teams versus the Chinese teams, uh, in particular Sway and Han and Machina and Galimov. And we saw that battle in the short program of the team event once already. So currently Sway and Han are 1-0, and, um, and they broke a world record. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, Machina and Galimov also beat their own world record just, like, by virtue of... <laughs> getting a lower score than Swayna and like they, their world record doesn't get to stick. Um, and then you've got the ice dance, which also has become more interesting after this team event rhythm dance because the favourites going in clearly are the silver medalists from 2018, Papadakis and Cicerone from France. Um, and then you've got the Russian team, Sinitsina and Katsalapov, who have looked really good. They've actually beaten um, the French a couple of times. But also, um, the Russian Olympic Committee's team did just lose to uh, Hubble and Donahue from the United States in the <laughs> rhythm dance um, yesterday. So it's just like, okay, is there now actually a genuine battle between gold, silver, and bronze? And even can that fourth United States team, uh, sorry, that second United States team with Chop and Bates come in and be in the medal hunt as well? Because it was seeming like it was going to be uh, France and Russia for gold and silver. And then a battle between those two United States teams for bronze. And now it looks a little bit different. And I think it'll be obvious after the rhythm dance how that really has split up. But I'm keen to see it. Um, <laughs> I think ice dance is a little bit underrated because it doesn't have all the jumps. <laughs> and it's harder to understand. But it's also the one that's probably got the biggest competition now after this team event. Beijing 2022 has more out LGBT uh, plus uh, uh, athletes competing than any other Winter Olympic Games with 34 athletes set to compete. It's a fantastic representation of the community on the world stage and those in that very same community watching at home, it's inspiration in that form of that representation, isn't it? Yeah, so it's 34 athletes total and we have our first um, non-binary athlete, which is Tim LaDuke from the United States. Um, they are the first non-binary Winter Olympian, second non-binary Olympian, full stop, um, which is also incredible for inclusion. I did the math and it was if all of the um, LGBT plus athletes were competing as they are in like NOC at the Olympics, they would be the 25th largest team. Um, which wow. <laughs> that in itself, you're like, this is small team. So like, that's kind of understandable. But I think it was if you combine the teams from New Zealand and Spain, it's still a bigger team. Like, so, and then you've also got great representatives. Um, Australia's Belle Brockoff is probably one of the best examples. She's hunting two gold medals, so there's also that. But um, just the, like, way that she advocates for the community um, and <laughs> represents herself as an athlete as well, it makes it um, people connect with them more regardless of their um, sexual identity or gender identity, which is also important because, these athletes need to feel safe to be able to come out and that also makes other people in the community feel safe to come out as well. Well, it wouldn't be an Olympics without uh, some Russia-based controversy and it's not about Vladimir Putin falling asleep at the opening ceremony. Russia have been out the gate early with an accusation of being underscored. What's the story behind this? Yeah, so this goes back to the pair skating and I am of the personal opinion that it is ridiculous that they've come out with this. <laughs> They've said something to the effect of, like, oh, because it's home nation favoured, um, that's why Sway and Han ended up beating Machina and Gallimov. Um, and something to the effect of five judges gave, um, Sway and, uh, gave Machina and Gallimov 
higher scores than Swain Han. And there was also something to the effect of accusing, similar to 2002, that controversy, maybe some scores swapping. But the allegation doesn't make sense as well because they're directly accusing the United States athletes. So you, uh, United States judges, I should say. And you would think that that might be in relation to the men's event, um, which they don't have a judge that is a scoring. China doesn't have a judge that is a scoring judge in that men's event. It's just a technical controller um, who basically says, yes, that jump was rotated correctly. <laughs> like that's all they really have to do. Um, I just, it's so absurd. And I think that the, like, yes, as you said, the Russian Olympic Committee wouldn't be an Olympics without complaining about something. Um, but also at the same time, like it's the pairs of it. Uh, it's like the pairs team event. Um, you also need to look at what happened in the other events as to why you're not in first and not complain about some very, very good skaters winning by less than half a point. Um, <laughs> and in my personal opinion, Sway and Han are some of the best like we will ever see in pairs, but also on top of that, Machine and Gallimov, some of their qualities, their technical elements are incredible, but then also some of their skating skills and other elements of their programs still feels like they are in juniors competitions <laughs> rather than seniors competitions, which sounds really harsh, but <laughs> it's not actually a unique opinion. You're saying what you're saying, Jackie, and uh, we uh, really do thank you for the time and the expertise uh, checking in on the Winter Olympics. I think we're uh, well and truly set up for uh, the action that is to come. We'll follow your updates on Edge of the Crowd and also on the podcast Ascending Olympus. Thanks for the time once again, Jackie. Thank you. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.